So this is a series, a short series on the Psalms, which is starting while John's away. Um, as I understand it, we, we'll be this, this Sunday and the next three Sundays will be on the Psalms, and then I think we'll be doing another book like First Thessalonians. I don't feel I should be here, uh, but then we don't, I don't deserve anything. None of us deserve anything from except death. So it reminds me of grace. So um, I'm going to be uh, following this Psalm 37, just the first nine verses. I'm going to be using the NIV, so I hope I can be forgiven for that. I'm just going to say a few words about the Psalms, perhaps two or three minutes, and then we go into Psalm 37, the Psalms in general. So the Psalms, Martin Luther said that the Psalms are really the Bible in miniature. We find stories about creation, history, prophecy, poetry, the problems we all have in life, lots of wisdom, even marriage. Psalm 45 talks about marriage. Nothing to do with problems of life. Uh, And I didn't say that. And then there's a huge amount of praise in the Psalms. And the, the Bible, the whole Bible ends with you know, outburst of praise in Revelation 21, 22. In the same way, the Psalms end with an outburst of praise in the last five Psalms, especially the last Psalm. And Paul told us that we should sing Psalms to each other, Psalms, sing Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, he said. He wrote to the Colossians. So we shouldn't overlook the fact that the Psalms are joyful. Psalms are poetry. Psalms are to be sung. Psalms are beautiful. That's really important. They're not all joyful, but there's a lot of joy in them. (laughs) There's about 150 Psalms. Um, Many of them are written by David, David, about half. And they're divided into five books, but the numbering is a bit hard to follow, you might say. The the book one is is, is Psalms 1 to 41. And, but book one is unusual because they're, almost all the psalms in book one are actually written by David. And it's also unusual because book one has many sad psalms. David in distress, David weeping. You probably know David had, had a terrible time after he was anointed. Then there was a period of uh, blessing and of which when he found life easy. And then when Saul became jealous of him, life became exceedingly difficult. Imagine if you were being hunted down in, in this country, England, and you couldn't leave England, and you were being hunted down by Queen Elizabeth. You know, how long would it take her to find you? <laughs> but, so look, David is, in Psalm 6, we find David is weeping, really weeping. We find, he describes his bed drenched with tears, flooded. In another Psalm he talks about his, means the cords of death surrounded me, as Psalm 18, as if he was surrounded by snakes, any of whom could bite him and strangle him at any time. Uh, so book says Psalm 37 is in this book, uh, which has much sadness. Now we come to Psalm 37, and it's, I don't want to be all academic, but just one more little point. It's what we call an acrostic poem, meaning that the different stanzas start with a different word. The stanza might be one or two verses, because there's 40 verses in all, and there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, they have like A, B, G, D, a bit like R, A, B, C, D. 
So the first stanza will start with an A and the second one with B. And you might say, why do they do that? Well, Psalm 119, the, the long one, is written like that way, one of these acrostic poems. And also the beautiful thing at the end of Proverbs describing a wife of noble character. I think we've got many ladies in, the, in this category in this church. Um, why do they have these? Why did the, why were some of the Psalms written or some of the Bible written in this way, do you think? Well, of course, it's, it may be good for remembering, isn't it? For sort of A for this, B for that. And it's also beautiful. But it's also a kind of A to Z, possibly. There's an A to Z of London. If you've got good enough eyesight or a very strong magnifying glass, it might take you, say, from Wandsworth to Bermondsey or something. But probably the Bible's method is better still because it's pretty difficult to follow this. But the, um, you know, the Bible will tell you a lot more. So let's go into Psalm 37. Just going to read the first nine verses again. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger, and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil, for evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Can you hear me, though? Because people can't normally hear me, so I just want to check. David is, you can tell he's older, a bit older at this time. Of course, it's a common practice that we all tend to get older, the older we get, anyway, but we do. David is a bit older at this time. In fact, he said in verse 25, you heard Lorenzo, saying, I was young and now I am old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. So David, you probably notice he's writing in a different way in this psalm, isn't he? Some of the psalms he says, help, Lord. And another psalm he says, this poor man called and the Lord, the Lord heard him. I would praise the Lord, like that. Which is, so the Lord had seen him, David had seen the Lord rescue him many times. His faith had become very strong. So he's writing in this psalm about what he has learned, really. I'm going to do it again, just read it, but this time in a shorter way, I'm just going to do the, read the verbs, just the sort of doing words. So I think it'll help us. Do not fret or be envious. Do wrong. Wither. Die away. Trust to good. Dwell in joy. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you Commit, trust, he will, he will shine. Be still, wait patiently, do not fret, succeed, carry out, refrain, turn from wrath, do not fret, it leads, cut off, hope in the Lord, 
inherit. Now, I've got to make a confession. I can't stand here and say I've never fretted. It's <laughs> quite the opposite. I probably fretted more than anybody in this church. When I was 18, I just left school. I had a year, to, a year out, as it were. I, I could hardly enjoy it at all. Cause I, <laughs> I was so worried about what I was going to do for the rest of my life. So, I mean, you know, I, didn't, I started fretting then and done a lot of fretting over the years. So verse, the next, I mean, let's say verse one, I mean, says, do not fret. It says two things, really. Don't, don't fret and don't be envious of evildoers. We're all evildoers, but don't be envious of other people who maybe appear to be more prosperous and more successful than we are. Now, if you turn 37 round back to front, you get 73. And if you look at Psalm 73, it's quite similar, though it's not, it's not written by David. Psalm 73 says, My feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. Somebody's writing, I completely lost my ways, but about to fall down a cliff. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on and on, quite a few verses, saying this and how I was really about to die, really, mentally, emotionally. He was fretting and he was being envious. But in verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. And we're reminded in Proverbs as well, we get this message in different parts of the Bible, Proverbs 24 says, do not fret again because of evil men or be envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future hope, and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. I thought it would be helpful to look at an example of fretting in the Bible that we all know. It's the time of the Exodus. Do you remember the Exodus itself, the going out, the leaving, where the children of Israel are finally able to get away from the clutches of Pharaoh in Egypt? Um, it's in Exodus chapter 12, and then they get given lots of presents and everything, and they will go out rejoicing. And then grief. <laughs> Two chapters later, Pharaoh's men turn up again. Pharaoh's changed his mind. And it says, Pharaoh's thinking, gosh, why have, we, why have we let these Israelites go? We've got to get them back again. So the people are terrified. The Israelites are terrified, and they turn on Moses. This is what we all do, isn't it? We blame our leaders. Anything goes wrong, let's blame somebody else. That's the news that we hear every, every week, isn't it? Something's gone wrong, who can we blame? Um, in fact, we're all guilty all the time. But Moses was, I must say, great. <laughs> Moses' words were, do not, be do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the, de the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And I think that Moses honestly didn't know what God was going to do because he hadn't been told. Because in the next verse, God tells Moses, what are you doing? Why are you standing there? Move on. And they would put their foot in the water. And as soon as they put their foot in the water, the waters parted of the Red Sea. They had to show faith in the Lord by getting ready to move on. And I think that's often what happens. It certainly happened to me that we're fretting, we're terrified, What's going to happen next? Lord, please help us. Please help me to know what to do. And he sort of said, well, get on and do something. And then when you do something, the Lord, we see what the Lord does. This has certainly happened to me 
but I won't go into details. So an antidote, you might say, to fretting is don't be afraid, stand firm. You will see the, liber- the deliverance the Lord will bring. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And there are other examples of that in the Old Testament. So the verse 1 talks about fretting, and it also talks about envy. The Bible has got fairly clear instructions about envy. The Tenth Commandment says we're not to be envious of anything. We shouldn't envy anyone anything. The Tenth Commandment is you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So we, we're not to be envious or jealous of anything. It may not be as easy as that, but that's the commandment. But the psalm is specifically about don't envy people who seem to be sinful, as we think. But of course the Bible tells us that we reap what we sow. There's a kind of common sense way, not... I mean, we might, we might be tempted to envy people who use cybercrime and, you know, use it to rob banks and get lots of money from different people's bank accounts and things. But if we have faith in God, we know that God will punish all of these crimes and even punish in this life. So they won't get very far. The Proverbs uh, 26 says, if a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll, roll back on him. This is, digging a pit means digging a pit for somebody else to fall into, but you end up falling into it yourself. And in Proverbs 1, which I haven't put up, King Solomon talks to his son. You can read it for yourselves. And he's really telling his son, doing evil at other people's expense doesn't pay. So don't try it out, because you'll actually, it's a people, people come along and say, you know, let's come with us, we'll, we'll um, murder somebody, we'll steal all his, all his belongings and have great fun, we'll make lots of money and everything. But the Proverbs describing it as they're weighing, laying in wait for their own blood. They don't realize. Maybe that's not for this audience. We probably don't need to be told this, but it's, it's worth being reminded, I think. So doing evil at other people's expense doesn't pay. Crime doesn't pay. But we're also not to fret about anything. So let's turn then and look at what we should be doing. So verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. David said in another psalm, I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. And Isaiah said, you will keep him in perfect peace. He whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. And Proverbs gives a different slant to this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And it was great that, we, that Neil brought this up this morning. Thank you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because sometimes we have to, we still have to trust, even we can't understand. So I told you that I shouldn't be standing here. I don't deserve to be. And because... Well, about, well, I mean, numerous reasons, of course. But three or four years ago, I had an illness. And I was fretting about it. I was being, behaving very badly. I said, I can't understand it. I can't. Why? 
I can't understand it. And I've got a son that you don't know. You all know, most of you know Sam, but this is Sam's, one of Sam's brothers, he, the youngest one. And he's called Stephen. And he's always been very good. He's been very good for me. He always seems to know where I am spiritually. He's often been extremely disappointed in me. <laughs> and he usually knows the word to say. Oh, very often. And he would say, Dad, and give me some advice. Well, he's married now. Uh, but at this time when I was fretting, I said, I can't understand what's going on. He said, he wrote me a text and said, Dad, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. And he knew, you see, what you don't know, that this has been on our wall for nearly 20 years. And he knew that. So he was saying, Dad, why don't you do it? You know, James chapter, chapter 1, might be a good idea to read, to trust, to say, I mean, to obey, instead of just uh, reading the word. So he was a great help to me. So, just want to say, those of you with children, just you wait now. <laughs> they will give you good advice at the right time. And Richard, so that's, but this, the verse where, I've gone a little bit away, haven't I? So verse 3 actually, actually says, trust in the Lord and do good. This is really the whole gospel, isn't it? If we trust in the Lord, if we trust in his salvation, he saves us. Ephesians 2, he's the one who saved us. We didn't save ourselves. He's the one who can change our hearts. When he changes our hearts, he gives us the desire to do good works, really, to do to th in thank thankfulness for him. And then, of course, in our great arrogance, we think that we're doing great works. We find we're doing nothing. We find that already, he'd already prepared them in advance for us to do. It's Ephesians chapter 2. So we're to trust in the Lord and do good. We're to dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. It's really security. So let's go on. Verse 4 says, we're going to, we should, oh, sorry. Verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And it's a beautiful command. It comes with a promise. There's an antidote to fretting here, isn't there? We don't have to fret. We delight ourselves in his creation, his word, his love, his perfection, his power, his salvation. And the first psalm, Psalm 1, says, also talks about this because it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And it comes with a promise. It's a great promise. You'll all want to hear this. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. How would you like to be successful in all you do? Well, it's a promise here. Meditate on the Word of God. Have to occasionally do other things. So we're to, how can we delight in the, in the Lord? We can delight in God's Word, delight in His creation, delight in His love, in His salvation. And in verse 5, we're to admit, we should commit our way to the Lord. It says, trust in Him and He will do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn. 
There's another verse in Proverbs that says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. How can we actually physically commit our... How should we do it? Well, obviously, this is between the Lord and, and each one of us, but we can ask the Lord to about the plans we've made for the day or for the week or the year and, and ask him to tell us if we're going the wrong way and guide us. We can do that every day. We should do it every morning. I'm, and I got great help from a talk that Adam gave uh, when he talked about every day we can ask the Lord that we would be a living sacrifice um, so that we, our lives would be useful for the Lord. And we can commit the parts of our bodies as well. Living sacrifices comes from Romans 12. We can also commit our hands, our feet, our, our lips and everything too, that they'll be used for righteousness and not for... If they're not used for righteousness, they tend to be used for evil. So we can ask the Lord to use the parts of our body for righteousness every day as well. So, and there's a, a promise here as well, isn't there? A great promise. If we commit our way to the Lord, he will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. And, you know, there are amazing promises. You probably noticed them right through the psalm. I'll read a few of them. I'll read a few of them which are a bit later. The wicked, verse 12, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. Verse 16, the days of the blameless are known to the Lord and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster they will not wither. In days of famine they will enjoy plenty. Verse 25, I was young and now I am old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Verse 30, the, the mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom and his tongue speaks what is just. The law of the Lord is in his heart his feet do not slip. Lots of promises. I don't know about you, though, but I do know about myself. That is, I know a little bit about myself. There's a, there are two problems for me here. I mean, if I think about it immediately. The first problem is that I'm personally not righteous at all. There's an awful, we can't just read these promises and say, righteous, wonderful, it's wonderful, wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Because, <laughs> um, well, I'm not righteous. And of course, no one is righteous. So, just wanted to go into this a little bit. So, the bad news, which is in the Bible, is in Psalm 14 and many, 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 many other places, is that no one, there's no one who does good, not even one. And if you missed reading, since reading the Psalms, you can read it in Psalm 14, and then the Lord is. The Lord is wiser than we are, so he knows that we might miss it. So he repeats it again in Psalm 53, the same thing. There is no one who does good, not even one. And of course it's in many other parts of the Bible too. So that's the bad news. Very bad news. But of course there is good news, very good news. That Jesus, the work of Jesus, and the words of Jesus was that said that I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. And then Paul, when he was converted, well, obviously, um, but Paul wrote, but don't forget that he had not been converted initially. When he was converted, he wrote, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, 
a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And then he wrote it in more detail in Romans, uh, also in Romans. A righteousness from God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then he said another very beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And again, I don't know about you, but I do know a little bit about me that I find it hard to believe that you know, anybody, even God, can look on me and say, righteous, you know, because I know that I'm not righteous. So, so can we be sure of this? Does it, does it really mean that we can actually be regarded by God as righteous? Well, then we can go to, I think we can, because we can go right back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, this famous verse, when, Abram, when Abraham is called Abram, and the Lord talks to him and says, look up at the heavens and count the stars. You can count these lights here, but you certainly can't count the stars, can you? If indeed you can count them, it says, so, so shall your offspring be. And Abram was a man of 75, and then 85, and then eventually 100 before it happened. But Abram believed the Lord, and he credited, he credited to him as quite righteousness. And there are beautiful verses in Isaiah, which I haven't put up. Isaiah 53 talks about, my righteous servant will justify many people. That means, justify means make them righteous. And it's also written about in Galatians and in James's letter as well. So we, if we ask Jesus to save us, he will do that and he will regard it as righteous. But we will continue to sin as long as we live in these bodies. So let's go on. So there are promises in the psalm, psalm that evil men will wither away, he will give us the desires of our heart and things. Are these fulfilled in this life, or is it purely the next, or is it both? Well, of course, there's a, famous, uh, there's a famous part in Galatians, which I think is not there. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Of course, that seems to be talking more about eternity, doesn't it? But it's, we've seen also that people do reap what they sow, don't they? The man who digs a pit falls into it. And there's a beautiful testimony made by a man called George Muller, who was a, a man who lived in the 19th century here in Britain and lived entirely by faith. And entirely by faith, he looked after orphans, many hundreds at a time often, went up to a thousand at one time. And he had to feed them all. And the many great miracles happened. You know, there would be no food. And George Muller would give grace and thanks. Thank you, Lord. There was no food at all, and everybody would look around. And he said, and you say, with quite great faith and confidence, you say, now, you will see what the Lord will do. And they knock at the door. And the baker would have broken down, and it, 
was, had a huge amount of bread to spare. And many things happened like that. But anyway, he gave this testimony that I delighted myself in the Lord and he gave me the desires of my heart. So we don't want to go into philosophy really, but I think that we're all encouraged to try these problems, test them out, and we will find them true for ourselves in this world and the next world. Let's go on. We, let's go on. Then we should be still. David says, "Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him." Waiting can be hard, can't it? Waiting can be short term or long term. Sometimes it can be very, very long. But God uses waiting in our lives, doesn't He, to refine us and discipline us? Pain and monotony are an important part of life. I remember just uh, the, when we, you probably know some of you know we, we worked in Hong. Helen and I went to Hong Kong for a while, and we were living in Belfast before that, and we hadn't been married very long. We, when the Lord, we felt the Lord was calling us to do this, and I gave. I was working at the hospital, and I had to write my notice and give three months' notice. So I wrote a letter, giving three months' notice, and I didn't hear anything. And then um, I was very puzzled why I hadn't heard anything. And then we heard from Hong Kong, and it said, "Don't come just yet because the hospital is, is not completely built." <laughs> so, and we were expecting a baby, and our first baby, and a few other things like that, and we couldn't sell our house in any case. And then the, the Lord just said, wait. And lots of mature Christians, more mature than we were, said, just wait, you will see, you will see. The Lord's timing is perfect. And it was perfect. And in fact, they, the hospital hadn't received my, for some reason it went astray in the post. <laughs> and so we waited for a year, a year and a quarter, and eventually the, the Lord said, no, now's the time. So we, we'd had our baby and all that. <laughs> and so the Lord's timing is perfect, even if we have to wait a long time. Remember, Abram had to wait 25 years for his son. Moses had to wait 40 years to become the leader. And there's a lady, Anna, the prophetess, waited about 60 years to see the little baby Jesus in the temple. So let's go on. So verse 7 and 8 say, Do not fret. So we go back to fretting. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. So fretting is mentioned three times. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. I always feel it's important what James says. Everyone should be slow to speak and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. It's okay for Jesus to go into the temple and pull up, push over all the tables of the money changers, but that's not for us to do, because we can't do it. We don't have really righteous anger. I, I don't, anyway. So it's best if we don't become angry at all. We will have two ears, but only one mouth. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. And if we... That's verse 9. If we went down to verse 11, which we're not going to do, but I'll just read it. It says, The meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. That's similar to what our Lord said, isn't it? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth.
So I feel that this psalm gives us lots of direction. For example, for our quiet times, looking at the examples in the Old Testament and, and the messages in this psalm, we should pray with, with thanksgiving. We should pray for those who persecute us. I haven't been good about that in my life, but I've, I've learned to do it now. There's always people who tease us wherever you're working or living, or there are always, always people who we may not be actually living in a prisoner war camp or living in Syria, but we still have people who persecute us. Because prayer can change the situation, and the other person may be saved. Let's worship the Lord, trust in the Lord, commit ourselves to the Lord, delight ourselves in the Lord, commit our way to the Lord every day, and be still before him, and wait patiently for him. And Paul, you know, had a great prescription for anxiety. Do you remember that he was in prison in, in Philippi? And, well, he wrote this letter in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And when Paul wrote this, he was in prison in Rome. He's probably thinking about the time in Philippi, when again he was in prison, in the stocks, in prison, doubly imprisoned, and they were giving thanks and singing hymns and psalms to the Lord at midnight. <laughs> Amazing. And what happened? There was an earthquake and the chains fell off. And the jailer and his family were, came to believe. And Paul and Silas were released. So Paul, must, Paul knew he, what he was talking about. The way to pres the prescription for anxiety is to rejoice and give thanks. And so I just want to finish with peace. Uh, so Paul wrote, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And our Lord said, My peace, well, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives, but don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. But you know, when Jesus said those words, he was in the upper room. Uh, giving his disciples the final words of instruction. Just, they didn't know, but he knew. Just hours later, he was going to be arrested, tried, crucified. And he said, peace, my peace I give you. So, we've got the example of our Lord, the example of Paul. We've got the command. And we've got the Holy Spirit, which brings us peace. So, I started with, we started talking about fretting, we'll finish with peace. So may this psalm uh, help us to live in peace. So, I believe the plan is to have a, a song, but let's, if I could have prayer and then we'll have a song, would that be all right? So let's pray. Lord, I, we thank you so much for your word, the wonderful wisdom, beauty, truth that it contains, Lord. Thank you so much.
We always feel we fall so far, so far down, Lord. But you're always there to lift us up. So help us to replace all fretting and anxiety with your peace, I pray, Lord, whatever the circumstances. So I pray that you'll bless this word and help us to live, uh, live for you each day in our lives. For we ask it in your name. Amen.